Hi everyone, I'm really excited to be joined today by global law firm Herbert Smith Freehills, which is a little bit of a mouthful, so I'm going to refer to them as HSF through the webinar. A career in law might not be something you have thought of as a, as a STEM student. So today we're going to give you a behind the scenes, scenes view of HSF, who they are, what they do, and the different routes you can take within the business. We are joined by four people who graduated with a STEM degree and who will talk to us about their individual journeys a little bit later on. As a global law firm, HSF works across a number of sectors, including the likes of energy, infrastructure, technology, healthcare and banking, just to name a few. They also cover a wide range of services from restructuring, governance, capital markets and cybersecurity. If you look at their hub on Gradcracker, you'll be able to see some of their current cases, which include cases in the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia and Indonesia to give you a little insight into what they do. So, heading over to the panel. Firstly, we have Rebecca. Rebecca is the Graduate um, Recruitment Advisor. And I'm going to hand over to Rebecca shortly to give you an introduction to Herbert Smith Freehills, the roles that they offer, who they are, and um, why it's so important for a law firm to recruit STEM students. So Rebecca, I'll look forward to speaking to you in a while. Let's briefly meet the other panellists. So we're joined by four trainees who are all currently on their training contract, which is what law firms call their graduate schemes. So we've got Kate, Cassie, Charlie and David. So welcome, welcome everybody to the webinar. So Rebecca, if we can just start with you, um, yep. could you just let us know a little bit about your role within the business? So, so what do you do? Will students and graduates meet you throughout the process? Who are you in the nicest sense? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank you. Yes, I am Rebecca and I work in the graduate recruitment team at HSF, Herbert Smith Freehills. Um, and I've been at the firm just over two years now. Um, and I guess as my job title suggests, I recruit future talent into the firm. So I guess I get to do all the fun stuff, um, usually visiting universities and um, things like that have been moved virtual this year so far. But um, hosting events, um, attending webinars like this. Um, so ultimately, I, I guess I'm the face of the firm and I'm, I'm hopefully one of the reasons why you might want to think about joining us. Um, I get to meet a lot of people in my job and I also get to review a lot of application forms. Um, so hopefully I'm in a good position today to advise you not only on the process, but also kind of what we look for in our future recruits as well. Yeah, fantastic. So yeah, make sure you listen to Rebecca. She is looking at applications and she's going to give you some fantastic hints and tips um, a little bit later on as well. So Herbert Smith Freehills, Rebecca, how would you describe them as a law firm and why, why are they so different to other law firms um, in the sector? Yeah, so well, you did well at introducing us um, just Thank now. <laughs> so you've definitely done your research. Um, but I guess just to pad that out a little bit, um, we are obviously a law firm and we're headquartered in London and Australia. And just to give you an idea of, I guess, our, our headcount and our footprint, we have 26 offices in 20 countries and have over 5,000 people at our firm. So that gives you an idea of, of kind of what you'd be getting into if you joined us as a trainee. Um, yeah. and what our kind of reach looks like. Um, as with any law firm, we provide um, legal advice to our clients ultimately. Um, and our clients include uh, major corporations, governments, financial institutions um, and commercial organisations. So we do, we cover kind of a broad spectrum of clients. Yeah. Um, we're also what is known as a full service firm, which essentially means that we can help our clients through their whole kind of economic cycle, rather than just with niche areas of law. So, you know, clearly for our clients, that means that we can offer them with, with it, help with it all and then it saves them kind of going to multiple different firms for different things. Yeah. But ultimately for you as a student, that means you get to experience lots of different types of work that we do uh, when you're with us as a trainee. And then from that, you can work out what it is you're really passionate about and where it is you might like to specialise in when you qualify as a solicitor. Yeah. Um, and as you've mentioned, uh, we operate at the forefront of many kind of sectors, including technology, media, um, telecommunications, finance, energy, pharmaceuticals and healthcare. So actually, you will see our name in, in the news acting for really big clients and, and you know, usual household names that you'd have heard of. Um, I guess in terms of what makes us unique, um, and this is my perspective, and this is my, my opinion, really, is that 
you know, despite being such a, a big global firm, we have actually managed to retain our culture. And mm. that is something I'm really proud of. Um, and I think, it, you know, culture is always something that, that's in danger of being diluted, obviously, the larger you get. Mm. And I'm really proud to say that that hasn't happened with us. And we work really hard to make sure that it doesn't happen to us. Um, I guess I describe our culture as kind of really open and friendly, um, which is ultimately down to the people that, that work at the firm. Um, and I think, I guess the reason I've highlighted that really for, for you as students thinking about where to start your career is, you know, it's important to think about the environment that you'll be working in. Um, you know, I know if I was at the beginning of my career feeling particularly vulnerable and, and feeling like I don't really know a lot, actually, I'd, I'd want to work in an environment where I can ask questions and I can learn from people and that if you make mistakes, which you will, um, you know, that you won't be out on your ear and it, it's not kind of a, you know, uh, throwing you out of the door because you made one mistake kind of thing. So I think from that, it's comforting to know that despite kind of working hard and long hours, which of course you will do as lawyers, but yeah. that you're actually surrounded by friendly and approachable people. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, I guess, again, it's my perspective, but considering how much of our lives we actually spend at work, I think that's really important. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's that balance, isn't it, about being um, a, a global company and having the global opportunities that our students can have when they joined HSF. But it's that family feel as well, isn't it, that people are accessible, you're not left on your own and everything else. Exactly. Um, just, just one thing that I did mention, Rebecca. So you mentioned you've got, we've got like kind of the, the big, bigger firms in Australia and in London. So as future progressions from from the lawyers' point of view, when they've finished the training contracts and everything else, is is there an opportunity for them to go over to Australia, or is the law completely different out there? Is that a bit of a silly question? No, no, not a silly question at all. And absolutely, um, in normal circumstances, throughout your training contract, you are able to apply to go on an international secondment um, where you are able to spend six months in one of our other overseas offices and really find out about what work they do there. Yeah. Um, similarly, we have, we kind of do a trade-off. So, uh, you know, students or, or trainees from those offices come here and it doesn't matter you know your background or what, what law you know or don't know um, mm-hmm. it's on you know that's why you're working here to be trained in that yeah um, and then when it comes to qualification um, there's even a chance for you to qualify into another office um, so in our most recent round of qualifications there is a trainee who's qualifying into our Tokyo office um, which is really impressive and really uh, I guess hopefully demonstrates to you that you don't have to stick to London and the world yeah. literally is your oyster when you're working at such a a big global firm and that is a perk of working at a global firm yeah oh fantastic yeah thank you very much for that Rebecca and just to go on to you know you've you really sold HSF to the students the the, op- the opportunities that you're available and obviously the culture there so give us a little bit of an insight now if, if you don't mind about the routes into HSF so maybe with a va- through the vacation scheme if you can just describe a little bit about that and going straight onto the, the training contract yeah, definitely. So you might want to get a pen and paper out for this to make your <laughs> notes, um, because it is a little bit long winded. And to get into law, it is, um, I guess, a long game. But um, there are a couple of steps that you do need to take, and I'll kind of run through them. So um, at HSF, you must complete a vacation scheme um, in order to secure your training contract. So a vacation scheme is just another word for paid work experience or an internship or something like that. Um, they're usually two or three weeks and we try and do them so they're over your um, university holidays so either in the winter um, Easter or over the summer so it doesn't interfere with your studying um, and whilst you're with us on those vacation schemes you do real work for real clients and you get the ideas for you to get a sense of what life is like as a trainee at HSF mm-hmm. um, so this benefits you know both work ways in the sense of you know you see if you like hers but also we see if you'd be a good fit for the firm yeah Um, So when you come on your vacation scheme, we ask you where you'd like to spend your time. So either the two or three weeks, you split your time across two different groups because we Mm -hmm. want to give you as much experience and exposure as possible. But we also want to make sure that that exposure is, you know, quality. So we've decided two is enough. Um, But we give we like to give STEM candidates the option of sitting within our intellectual property group whilst they're on the vacation scheme. And the idea behind that is to, you know, literally see in action how people from similar backgrounds to them kind of use their knowledge and experience in their day-to-day job yeah 
Um, in terms of applying for a VAC scheme, um, it is very competitive. Um, just to put it out there, I don't want to kind of con you into thinking this is an, an easy option for anyone. It is very competitive. Um, you apply for your vacation scheme when you are either in your penultimate year, your final year, or have already graduated. Yeah. Um, so essentially kind of rolling out first years if, if we go back a step. Yeah. Um, and as I said, these are a really great way to get to know the firm. Mm -hmm. um another once you kind of finish your your vacation scheme hopefully you'll be offered a training contract off the back of that um yeah. and ultimately a training contract is another two years um where you're on the job training I'm sure the trainees on the line today will give you a, a bit more of an insight into what they do day to day um mm -hmm. but essentially it's another period of two years of being a trainee a trainee mm -hmm. solicitor um, and at, at the end of that two year, you are hopefully gone through, jumped through all the hoops of the Solicitors Regulation Authority and you um, will become a qualified solicitor at the end of that. Fantastic. Um, yeah, so yeah, definitely. I hope you've got your pad and pens like Rebecca said, but all of this information, all of the um, the routes into Herbert Smith Hills is on their hub on Gradcracker. So don't worry about if you haven't managed to scribble all that down, go back to the hub after the webinar and take a look at the information there. And um, we also have a um, on our website on the Herbert Smith Hills graduate recruitment website, we have like an interactive um, I guess, career journey that you can click through, like, uh, you know, like a flow diagram thing. So hopefully that will also simplify things a little bit for you. Yeah, brilliant. Thank you. And um, everybody who's out there, just don't forget to go onto their hub. Um, Spots Rebecca beforehand and the, the positions are opening in September, um, which is going, I know we're in February, but that is going to fly by. So don't forget to um, follow on Gradcracker and then you'll be alerted as soon as they open their opportunities because they remember what Rebecca says is it's, it's really, really competitive. Um, so Rebecca, final question to you before we move on to the, to, to the trainees. Um, so law, STEM students, you know, our focus is on STEM students today. Why is it so important for a law firm and in particular Herbert Smith Freehills to recruit students from a STEM background? Yeah, I know it is, it is a bit of a leap between yeah. STEM and law. Um, and again, I'm hoping that the trainees on the line will able to kind of, I guess, show you that it, that it is a possible possibility and how they've used their skills at, at work. But ultimately, you know, we're, we're a business where we need to be commercially viable. So in order for us to offer the best solutions for our clients, we need to make sure that our employees come from a diverse range of backgrounds, skill sets, ways of thinking and ultimately ways of working. So, like I said, from a commercial perspective, we need to make sure we're not recruiting the same type of person year on year. And ultimately, gone are the days where you need to have studied law to become a lawyer. Yeah. Um, so more specifically, why we want to recruit STEM students at HSF is due to the sectors that we operate in and, and ultimately who our clients are. Um, so the more demanding our clients are, you know, we need to make sure we're meeting their needs and, and we understand the work that they do. Yeah. Um, so ultimately, we need people who are able to apply kind of legal knowledge to specialist areas. So such as pharmaceuticals, technology, cyber security, energy, infrastructure, all of those types of things. We need to make sure that our people have that knowledge. Um, I guess just linked to that is, you know, we've found that sometimes scientists specifically can be a bit more naturally inquisitive um, and don't take things on face value, uh, which is definitely a desirable skill of a lawyer, always yeah. questioning things, always challenging things. Um, so ultimately, it's a commercial, I guess, move in order to stay in, at the forefront of the sectors that we operate in and making sure that, you know, the, the service and, and the, the solutions we're offering our clients is really innovative. Yeah. And, and adding value really so having that expertise of, of from from the stem students or stem um, employees having that expertise in-house is what kind of i'm here today to talk to you about um in the sense of that expertise of scientific technical strategic knowledge um that's what we're looking for and that's what we're hoping to keep in-house um so although you'd be a lawyer you'd very much still be using your stem knowledge and, and ways of working in your day-to-day -day role yeah and um, so hopefully the trainees can kind of bring that to life a little bit for you as well. Yeah, thank you very much. And I think, yeah, all, don't, for the audience out there, don't close yourself off. You know, you can still be in the law sector and still use the skills that you've gained at university studying from a STEM background. And all the all the trainees on the call today are all um, 
STEM students. So we'll definitely get to know a little bit more from them a little bit later on. So Beck, I'm going to leave it there for you um, now, if that's okay. I'm going to move yeah. on to the trainees. Um, so if we could just meet you in a little bit more detail before we then hand you over to Sophie. Um, so Kit, I'm going to start with you. Could you just let everybody know um, what you studied at university and where you studied? Yes. Hi, I'm Kate. I went to Durham and I did chemistry and I did a year at ECL um, doing organic chemistry. Perfect, thank you Kate. And Kate is bringing a little bit of colour to the panel today. Mm -hmm. A nice pink pink red top. Um, Charlie, over to you. Which university yeah. did you go to and what did you study? Apologies for very monotone black uh, outfit, but <laughs> I went to Imperial College and I did four years, so a master's in chemistry. Um, one year was actually abroad at the University of Barcelona, but yeah, Masters in Chemistry. Fab, thank you very much. And Cassie? Hi everyone, I'm Cassie. I did a Bachelor's in Biochemistry and Genetics at King's College London. Thank you, Cassie. And last but not least, David? Hi everyone, I'm sorry to join the theme, but I did Chemistry as well. <laughs> and then I did a PhD um, in Chemistry in Durham. Fantastic. That. Thank you very much, David. And um, so all the trainees are currently on their training contracts, but at different stages. So Kate, Cassie and Charlie, you're all based within corporate at the moment, but at different levels of your training contract. Um, so if we can just get to know a little bit more about this. So as part of your training contract, you'll, you'll undergo a number of seats. So basically what that means in other world is a rotation. So in a graduate scheme, you might have a rotation. On a training contract, you have what you call a seat. So, Cassie, if we can go back to you, my love. So could you tell the audience, because this it might be completely you know, alien to them, could you tell the audience a little bit more what, about what a seat is? No problem at all. I also, um, when seat was mentioned to me at my first <laughs> one of these panels, I had no clue what it was. <laughs> so you're very much correct. It's very much a rotation. Yeah. So when you're on your training contract, or particularly at Herbert Smith, you'll do a six-month period within a particular department within the firm yeah. and this allows you an opportunity to get a little bit more experience within a particular group of that firm um, so for example you can sit in a corporate team where I'm currently sat and that allows you to have exposure to the type of work that you might do with corporates in their sort of day-to-day -day life whether that's sort of their corporate governance and management or whether you're helping them with a big transaction whether that's a sale or a disposal of an entity in their corporate structure but that's just one example. We have a number of different groups throughout the firm. Um, for example, we have a litigation team where you'll get um, exposure within the court system and working on big dispute cases. Mm -hmm. uh, we have a really big real estate team where you'll be working on real estate matters. And so I guess the, the point of the seat system is to allow you to get as much exposure to different areas within the firm. And there's different skill sets that skill sets which are suitable for each of those departments. Mm -hmm. And so you can get training in those areas but also there'll be differences between the teams that you'll find suit your own personal skills better. And it's an opportunity for you to figure out whether that's work that you'd like to do in the future. And if that's an area that you'd like to qualify into at the end of your training contract. So it's very much focused on both giving you training in different areas, but also giving you the opportunity to figure out whether that's the type of work that you like to do. And that's where you'd like to see yourself going in the future. Fantastic. Thank you very much, Cassie. Really, really good insight there. What I'm going to do is I'm going to, Sophie, I'm going to hand over to you. I know a bit before the, the, the times, but I'm just thinking I was going to ask questions about the corporate division and also um, real estate and um, just to cover off, you know, a couple of the seats that the, that the trainees are in. But I do feel like this is going to come up a little bit later on as, as part of um, the webinar anyway. I'm just, just looking at the time, it's 20 past. So if, um, Sophie, I'm going to hand over to you, my love. Um, Sophie is the resident grad cracker law and intellectual property guru so she is an expert in this field Sophie over to you you have the floor <laughs> thank you Carla for bigging me up there and probably <laughs> right on the spot um, I can't believe that's it's nearly 20 past already that's gone so quickly so that's just a testament to how interesting I found all of that yeah, um, so hi everyone um what I'm gonna do before we get into the detail of actually you know what your day-to-day -day lives as a trained solicitor are at HSF I would just like to know, and I think it's going to be kind of really insightful for our audience, um, as STEM graduates, what kind of initially attracted you to go into a career in law? Um, so Kate, we're going to start with you, if you could sort of tell us what, what initially attracted you. Yes, um, probably 
I think it's quite similar to David and Charlie. <laughs> I've heard about patent attorney roles, um, which is where you sort of specifically write um, the patents. I didn't, I think law was an option at all. And then I came across patent litigation, which is where you're sort of fighting patent, um, for, yeah, for fighting for ownership of patents through Herbert Smith. Um, and I just thought it sounded so interesting, um, both in terms of the work and everyone was 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 really lovely. Um, and then I sort of read up more about it. Um, and it's sort of even even outside of intellectual property, you sort of can use your skill set um, in a variety of different seats. Yeah. I think that's what's been really interesting for me, you know, working with intellectual property clients and then leading on to working with more law firms is, you know, the amount of different things that your skills are relevant to in these fields is just never ending. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, that's great. Thank you, Kate. Um, so, Cassie, over to you. What initially attracted you to a career in law? I, I think I can sort of mirror exactly what Kate said, and there might be a running theme here in terms of <laughs> the pattern attorney work. But I guess the reason why I looked at law in the first instance, it, it sort of ended up being a little bit of an accident, but obviously a very fruitful one. Yeah. Um, when I was in my final year of university, I had a little bit of a third year crisis um, and wasn't entirely sure that a career either following on with a master's or a PhD was exactly what I wanted or at least specialising going into research fields. Mm -hmm. So I think I had a bit of a moment where I reflected on what I'd done so far and really enjoyed the work that I'd done and the sort of skills that I developed on my undergrad, but yeah. didn't think they necessarily wanted to follow in the quite traditional path of mm -hmm. research from that. Um, I ended up speaking to my head of department and my head of year at university and they mentioned a patent attorney. So I started to look into that and then coincidentally went to an event similar to this with a panel and a Q&A, obviously more in person at that time, unfortunately. Um, and I ended up speaking to a partner who specialised in intellectual property, but within a commercial law firm. And we had a really fantastic conversation and he invited me to another event. And the rest is, I guess, history. But it was just sort of that first exposure to there was other areas within there was in different sectors, there was different jobs that I could look into that my skills would still be really useful and valuable. And it sort of opened my eyes to the work that I could do. And, and that was in the legal sector. Brilliant. Thank you, Cassie. Yeah, and I think that's a really good point. Is um, And I think Carla touched on, upon this earlier that, you know, do keep your, your options open when you're looking for your kind of graduate career and, and, and your placements. And um, using the sector search on GradCracker is a great way to do that. You know, we show you what type of companies are out there, what sectors um, there are, and then, you know, what, what disciplines that they look for as well. Also, the GradCracker Toolkit, <laughs> which Carla's just highlighted to me, which is our careers manual, which, again, just highlights lots and lots of different sectors that are open to, to students, including things like law and intellectual property as well. Um, so, yeah, it's great guidance to kind of keep your options open there. Um, Charlie, coming to you, what initially attracted you to become a lawyer? Uh, yes, I am pretty similar to the other stories, um, which is quite inevitable, I suppose. But I just really knew um, pretty soon on in my degree that I didn't want to have a career based in a laboratory or like even really within scientific research um so I but I, similarly I didn't want to go so far away from it that I would feel like it was a bit of a waste um as interesting as it was so yeah when I found um through similar avenues as the rest of the team here um rested on a law contract with a training contract which could have one seat in IP but the other three uh, in any different kind of law um, I was really attracted to it uh, especially because the more research I did especially in HSF which actually has an IP department and lots of other practice areas is that as I currently sit in corporate energy that's also very scientific and technical and it's not what you would immediately think there was that much science behind but actually you're looking at all of these different um, especially the renewables like bioenergy plants and energy for waste and all of these new technologies which are being developed to kind of try and address climate change and all of that kind of thing um, I do science definitely creeps into my daily work even in an area that I have hadn't even considered would be that linked to uh to science so yes that was really interesting and I think even when I'm not directly doing science even if I'm analyzing a contract or or drafting a contract or doing the dra first draft of a contract um I definitely use skills such as how I used to write scientific lab reports and stuff because it's far less 
it's about um, writing essays and things that you would think normal law students would do at uni and it's very logical precise and accurate and it's actually I think in my opinion a lot more similar to a scientific lab report than it is to kind of a essay or or that kind of thing that a history or English student might study so um, your skills are really 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 valuable for this job in 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 every seat yeah that's brilliant that's actually something that I've heard from a number of different clients about STEM students you know when they do go into a law environment that you know that kind of brevity that you have when you're putting together scientific documents um is really really helpful um brilliant and david over to you finally why did you choose to become a lawyer um the, the short answer is exactly the same as everyone else um, in terms <laughs> of patent attorney work i'm afraid but um kind of what got me thinking in that era was similarly i was kind of i didn't want to stay in the lab the rest of my life um mm. and to kind of send a bit cliched about things um I was walking home one day from doing my project and um I saw like the uni law careers fair on so I thought I'd just wander through it just to see what it was about um my impression of non-law students going into law was that they're all classics and arts and humanities students um but when I actually got talking to people on the the various stands and said to them I did um chemistry I realized that actually like it was quite useful to have a science background um still and they weren't just looking for like traditional approach of non-law into law um so I kind of widened my thoughts on patent attorney work a little bit and realized that actually within law there's still problem solving um analytical skills and as Charlie's just said there's there's lots of areas beside IP that still need a technical background um so yeah I, I still wanted to use that kind of problem solving analysis aspect but just in a wider context to patent work brilliant Thank you very much, David. Um, okay, so Cassie and Kate, I'm going to come to you two next on this one. So, you know, we've heard about why you chose law kind of overall, and I think you, you kind of touched upon this as well, but why specifically did you decide, decide that Herbert Smith Freehills was the right place for you guys to do your training contract? So starting with you, Cassie, sorry. <laughs> no problem at all. So I think for me, it was, it was similar to Rebecca in terms of the culture. For one, for one instance, you, you do work with these people every single day. And it, it seemed like a place that was really inclusive, but also very supportive. Um, everyone I spoke to was really interesting and intelligent, but also very keen to, to support me and provide feedback and not just focus on and provide answers and answer everything about HSF, but give me insight to the, the industry as a whole, which was an experience I didn't necessarily have in other places when I was looking. Mm -hmm. um, on the training contract, I've, um, the vacation scheme and also my training contract, everyone's been really involved in my own development and asking what I'm interested in and finding ways for me to progress and achieve those goals, mm -hmm. which was great. And I guess there was, when I was applying, I've done a lot of work in the past, the charity work in the past, and HSF has a really strong pro bono practice. And that's something that I've been able to continue doing during my, during my training contract, which is really invaluable to me. Brilliant. Thank you, Cassie. Um, and Kate, over to you. Why did you choose HSF? Yes, probably similar to Cassie, actually. Um, both sort of where I went to this open day at HSF, everyone's so, so friendly um, and approachable. And probably also just because of the sheer size of it, that um, you get more support, not just from other trainees, but from sort of document production and PAs were always always there to answer any questions um, and supervisors are, again so approachable and very much there to to guide you um, also so we touched on earlier the, the because of the size we do you do four month rotations across your training contract um, and there's just so many groups to choose from and you I think you have to use to see in transactional mm -hmm. um, i.e corporate um, or litigation and then you can sort of, you could go on clients comment or um, abroad again our international scope is, is, is pretty impressive too and definitely makes you yeah. That's great. So it's, it's really the breadth of experience that kind of drew you in of, of where you could go once you joined the firm. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Fantastic. OK, um, coming to Charlie and David next. Um, so, Charlie, you did a vacation scheme with HSF before joining the training contract. So can you tell us a little bit more about um, that and then how that led on to you joining the business as a trainee? 
Yes, definitely. It was quite a while ago now. I feel like a bit of a fossil, but <laughs> it was, um, I don't think they've changed that much apart from obviously uh, the last one we had was virtual. And I was fortunate enough to actually act as a buddy to a back schema who came in uh, to our group. So I do actually know a bit about, I, knew, I know that they're still very similar, just minus the virtual part. Um, so yeah, Rebecca said you can do a two or three week one. I did a two week one um, in the in springtime, mm-hmm. and um, I sat my first week in IP. You were given a chance uh, in the lead up to submit preferences about where you'd like to see it sit, and actually, I I tried to go uh, for IP, and I was given it in my actually sorry that was my second week. So my first week was in corporate, mm-hmm. and my second week was in IP. Um, it's very sociable. Uh, even on even virtually so there's lots of kind of um, group activity sessions to try and get you to bond and that's really important because essentially most of these people you will end up on a training contract with because the hardest part is to get uh, into the back scheme and then once you're in that it's not guaranteed by any stretch but as long as you perform well and you want to get involved and you demonstrate good qualities then it's very likely you'll get offered a job at the end so um yeah the majority of these people will end up being in your trainee cohort as well as having to study with them in the lead up to that so it's a fantastic opportunity to um, build relationships from the get-go with them you will come to rely on them constantly throughout your training contract um but then in terms of actually being able to understand a bit more about the firm you're basically fully immersed in the firm as if you were a trainee in a group so you uh, all, all the supervisors really uh, encourage joining calls and there's no kind of holding back as in uh, a client might be a bit like who's this on the call you just there's a one line at the beginning to say this is a vacation schema and the client's like fine um, so they get real exposure to clients they get real exposure to work because they have to do assessment pieces um, so I can't actually remember what I was asked to do but it was really interesting at the time and um and then even with those assessment pieces you get support from your trainee buddy or your supervisor or other associates in the group so it's not scary at all um and yeah I just remember um feeling very much like I had a got a true reflection of what it would be like to work at the firm and obviously that's what drew me in and led to me accepting the training contract offer at the end of it um and yeah it was just an amazing experience um just as important for the firm to meet you as it is for you to meet the firm and make sure it's a good match because um it's very hard to tell just from things like this webinar or reading on the website what firm culture is really like it's easy to know their clients and to know their type of work but the actual way that you feel when you're in the in the in the group you can only really do by um something like a vac scheme um so yeah it was a fantastic opportunity i think it's now the only way you can get to tc but uh it wasn't the case back then but either way it's a highly beneficial experience and um worth it even if you end up thinking this age stuff might not be for you I would say great thank you Charlie um, and just to um, confirm when Charlie said TC then she means training contract <laughs> um, and um, but I think you've made some good points there Charlie you know and some things that we um, have been kind of a bit of a common theme throughout these webinars that we've run with various different companies and in different industries that you know the whole recruitment process is designed to be a two-way process you know whether the company's right for you um, and whether you're right for the company so I think it was good to highlight that just one more question, um, Charlie. Um, when you finished your vacation scheme, how did you, were you then offered the training contract right at the end of the scheme or was it a few weeks after or how did that work? Yeah, so you have a, um, you have a an interview at the end, uh, guaranteed. Um, but when they say interview, because you've gone through so many hurdles initially, uh, to get onto the uh, vacation scheme it's much more of an informal chat and it is with a partner so it's slightly daunting and also probably with a partner that you haven't met that much or at least mine was with a partner that you hadn't met that much um during the, the during the two weeks but it's felt to me more like actually a feedback session so the partner was saying things like what did I enjoy what, what did I benefit what did I get out of it um and questions like that so um yeah it felt very informal quite stressless and it really allowed you to kind of just be yourself open up to that partner explain the kind of lessons you've learned from the vacation scheme and also of course they will ask the typical questions such as why do you actually want to work here um to which you basically just answer if you had a positive experience by explaining that positive experience and then just highlighting the kind of skills that you think you can bring to the firm um, which I'm sure you will have multiple of. So yeah, it was actually um, very less intense than the uh, an interviews to get onto the vacation scheme. Great. And then you get an offer maybe if you get, or you'll find out either way about a month after that mm-hmm. and then either choose to accept or not. 
and you have a month to accept or not I think what well, I did anyway cool. is that all the still the same then Rebecca now yes so um once we, once they kind of finish their fact scheme the interview is on the last day like Charlie said and then um, we do a massive wash up where we talk about you all um <laughs> and get kind of feedback from your supervisors and buddies and everyone that's kind of met you to make sure that the assessment is fair and that we're making a, a sensible decision as, as to whether to offer you and then, yes, you have um, usually around a month or so to accept, depending on kind of what the SRA regulations are around that time. OK, thank you very much, Rebecca. Right. So I'm going to come to you now, David, because we're going to kind of switch topics here. So you did a placement with a different Gradcracker advertiser, um, GSK, before joining HSF. And this was in the medicinal chemistry department. So can you tell us a little bit more about that experience and why then you decided to go on to pursue a career in law following that? Yeah, sure. Um, I shouldn't promote it too much <laughs> in our <laughs> webinar to promote HSF, but um, I really enjoyed my time. Um, I was in the kind of drug discovery early stage department. So the compounds we were making were like brand new compounds um, way before anything had got near kind of proven whether it was effective or not as a drug. It was the stages of making a compound and then it would be tested on like isolated proteins from different um, cells that were key for disease pathways, that sort of thing. Oh. Um, but it was my first experience in a kind of large organization. So yeah. it was really interesting to kind of see how a, like a real life large company operated. Um, and even though I wasn't in the kind of business side, I was in the lab every day. There was still obviously like company wide seminars um, updates on different kind of aspects of how the company was performing and just a general kind of feeling of what it was like in a large organization and um, I do remember going to different kind of meetings you know in terms of which compounds were going to be patented that sort of thing okay so I, was, I was seeing the kind of early signs of mm. I guess legal legal aspects to how a pharmaceutical company operates um, and similarly in seminars on kind of different drugs that were now marketed, you would hear about the legal implications and the different kind of regulatory hurdles that those drugs had gone through. Um, and there was the aspects of just the business in general. Um, so that definitely kind of got me thinking about using chemistry in a more like business context or kind yeah. of as a wider, wider area. And I guess that's ultimately what made me want to shift away from chemistry was the kind of real world application of chemistry. Yeah. And then obviously patents is using that kind of chemistry knowledge in a different context and then eventually kind of moving in further away to like a legal context um it's been quite interesting kind of see how everything links in and like you've started in a kind of a fundamental side of things so chemistry is like the kind of building blocks of a whole business but now you're seeing the kind of more um overall business side of things if that makes sense yeah 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 that's great um and I think that's that's good to hear sort of um you know that you've done a placement in one area and does end it's it's taught you that where you want to go after that and again that's quite a common theme that we've had throughout the webinars is you know even if people don't stay with that particular employer it's had a really big impact on on um, where they want to go afterwards and it's been a really positive experience all around mm -hmm. um okay I'm going to move on now because I'm conscious of the time um just to the actual assessment process um, so the assessment centre for HSF includes an activity that some viewers probably won't have experienced and maybe not have heard of in, in some other areas. So that is a mock negotiation exercise. So Cassie, could you tell us a little bit more about that? Sure, no problem. So when I was on my um, assessment centre for my vacation scheme, our sort of mock negotiation exercise was the negotiation of um you were split into two parties with the various other people who were invited on your assessment centre. Um, you're split into two teams and you're given a scenario that you're going to try and reach a conclusion on. Mm -hmm. So our particular example was we were given a contract that we had to negotiate and one party was the buyer and one party was the seller. And obviously from a commercial perspective, those individuals have different needs and wants out of the scenario. You're given a couple of prompts that you know and the other side don't. So that helps you guide you through sort of what points you might raise. Um, and you're given a little bit of time, the rooms are split. So you're given a little bit of time to discuss amongst yourselves what sort of positions you might try and take. And then you're brought together and there's a sort of this exercise where you're kind of left to it and given the opportunity just to have a go. Mm -hmm. um, 
this was when I did it on my assessment center, it was the first time I'd ever done any exercise like this before. And I think that can be quite nerve wracking. Yeah. Um, an element of it is quite nice that you're with other people who are pretty much everyone that's in that room with you is unlikely to have done that before. So you yeah. shouldn't feel too out of your depth. And it really is just an opportunity for you to have fun. I really advise just to have fun with it and see points that you think are really interesting to try and negotiate. There's no right answer. There's no outcome that they're expecting. It's really just an opportunity for you to show predominantly your ability to work in a team, but also how you present ideas and how you present compromises, because ultimately, I guess being a lawyer isn't about getting to the right answer every single time. It's about finding compromises which are suitable for everyone. Except for maybe in disputes, sometimes you have to be right. <laughs> um, they're a really fantastic opportunity just to, to try it out. And I'd really recommend not, not being too worried about it. Try not to over-prepare for it before you attend the assessment centre. You'll have plenty of these skills leading up to those uh, that situation that you can apply to the experience. Great. Thanks, Cassie. Um, and David, um, another exercise that was included on the um, assessment was um, a bit of a role play exercise. Could you tell us a bit more about um, how you kind of prepared for that, how you felt on the day and what was involved? Yeah, so um, basically in this exercise, um, a partner who you'd not met before played the role of a client, a hypothetical client, and you were kind of given some information. I think it was... Um, like a, an early form of a contract. So nothing binding, but just a general kind of outline of what terms were going to be in the contract. And um, I think you were given about an hour to go go away on your own and make notes on this and kind of summarize it. And then you had to basically imagine that you're in a meeting uh, with the client and explain to them the key points of the, mm -hmm. the contract. And I guess the tricky bit was that like a client would do that you got asked questions and you didn't know what the questions were going to be in advance. Yeah. So for me, I think it it was quite daunting in the sense of you had limited time to prepare for something and understand it. Um, and that was definitely, you know, had I known in advance too much about it, I think it would have seemed like quite a big deal, but actually on the day, um, when you're in that situation, it's quite amazing what you can kind of come up with. And, and yeah. like when you're under that kind of time pressure, you can actually like do really well under it. So despite it seeming like quite an intimidating thing, until you've kind of put yourself through that, um, you don't know how you'll do. And um, yeah, I mean, I didn't, I didn't answer every question properly, but you know, they definitely assisted you. So even though they were, you know, a partner in the firm, quite, quite senior, they were still quite friendly and were able to talk it through with you and help you like yeah. come out with an answer. So I think um, in terms of preparation for me, the, you can't prepare too much in terms of how you, you know, if you don't know what the, what the exact task is going to be, but yeah. just having an indication of some key legal terms beforehand and just some kind of jargon. So this was like a heads of terms, which is a, like I say, an early form of contract. And I had experienced like that from reading around the subject of law in general and like just general business terms. Again, because I was from a STEM background and they not necessarily done aspects of business, I think it's still good to have an understanding of kind of key commercial aspects and just how different phrases and terms of business kind of come up um yeah, yeah. it was it's quite daunting but like I say it's, it's amazing when you just you thought at the end of the day you were absolutely knackered from it but it was quite impressive yeah. like, what you've done yeah no that's great and um like you said David they're not you know you're not looking for absolutely right and wrong answers you know HSF want to see your personalities how you figure things out um so you know that's a great great tip to have there that you know that you're not looking for absolute knowledge of everything before you get there they want to see how you kind of work together how you figure things out and how you kind of react to those situations so that's brilliant um I'm gonna move on to training now because um there's quite a bit to cover here so we're going to talk about the different training that you get to become a solicitor, as there's actually quite a lot of training that you have to go through before you even start the training contract. And I think this is, again, something that's very different going into a law career. And Rebecca kind of mentioned this at the beginning. Um, so, Cassie, starting with you, can you just tell us a little bit more about how that training works and what training you need to do before you start um, as a trainee at HSF? Of course. So obviously you've come from a non-law background. There's no expectation that you'll be walking into the door on day one and expected to get going. There's a lot of training to lead up to that and it takes approximately two years to get there. Yeah. So the first sort of stage is to, it's a bit of a transition from your STEM degree and you'll do a second sort of second follow-on degree, which is the graduate diploma in law. So that sort of touches on the very basic 
uh, legal topics that would have been covered in a traditional law degree. So one example might be contract law or land law, just very typical things that your friends who study law at university will have also have covered. Once you've completed that, you will then go on to do um, a legal practice course if you want to become a solicitor. And this is universal for both, whether you've come from a law and non-law background, everyone currently has to do this this degree and this is much more practical knowledge which is tailored more towards where what sort of specialism you're going into so for example Herbert Smith is a commercial law firm so the topics you'll cover on the LPC the legal practice course are sort of tailored towards that so they'll be linked to commercial negotiations and um, sort of corporate governments for companies and how they are run on a day-to-day and what legal implications and practicalities you need to be aware of. Mm-hmm. So they're the sort of two main limbs that you need to do. And then once you've completed those courses, you'd go on to join the firm on your training contract, which sort of triggers this, this two year period where you start sitting in different departments and getting on the ground experience of, of law. Great. Thanks, Cassie. Um, and Kate, can you tell us a little bit more about your experiences of doing the, the, the graduate diploma in law and the, the LPC? Yeah, sure. So um, as Cassie said, the graduate diploma so you say GDL, the graduate <laughs> diploma in law, also the GDL, um, it goes sort of extends over 12 months. It's so much fun as well. The best, best time of my life. It's good. It's oh. relaxed. Um, and you do sort of six core modules, which I think is similar to what you do as a law student. Um, criminal taught land. We did EU, but I don't know if how that will sort of translate now. Um, mm. Constitutional and I was going to say you probably oh. going to hold up. You can't remember that. Yeah, we'll just Actually, in trust. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Um, and then you do exams, sort of halfway through, and at the end, um. It's also a great opportunity to meet other people who you might work with in the future. Um, and it's probably more relaxed than the legal practice course, the LPC, um, which we do over six months, but you can also do a 12 month okay. um, course. And that again, focuses that focuses on more sort of on more commercial practical modules, um, mm-hmm. such as business law and practice um, and, and and property law um, and there's lots about sort of statutory interpretation and it's that you you develop skills that you use day to day now where it's hard to sort of think how you'd use the knowledge you developed from the GDL now um but yes now I look back both 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 give fun again you meet people who you haven't met all these Charlie and um, David there yeah yeah um and then at the LPC you do exams after three months and six months too um and again that's more um sort of full-time and yeah uh, a bit more difficult yeah but, but yeah good great thank you Kate so the idea of these courses is to get you up to the kind of the level that if someone had come straight from a law degree coming from a STEM background it gets you up to kind of a level playing field for when you start your training contract um, so just to kind of reiterate here, um, for anyone watching, um, that the GDL, the Graduate Diploma in Law and the Legal Practice course take two years to complete in total, um, which is why when you see the training contracts for HSF advertised on Gradcracker, they're typically for two or three years ahead. Um, and that's because it gives you time to then complete these courses, which are all funded by HSF before you actually join the training contract. So that's why the dates are, are like that. Um, so that's kind of what happens when before you join the training contract in terms of the training that you're given. Um, but now going to you, Charlie, you've had quite a lot of training when you actually joined the firm. So you have had professional skills training. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about what that, that sort of stuff covers? Yes, the professional skills training is um, it's important, but it's what you learn on the job is far more important. Um, so you'll have kind of these odd like not odd as in these randomly placed PSE things so you'll do things like a day of if you're when you're in a dispute seat it'll be a bit like advocacy um, which means representing a client kind of in court so speaking for them speaking to a judge and the kind of things that we don't necessarily do at HSF or because 
in English law, it will be a barrister, which usually typically does this. And, and if you're a solicitor, you kind of do the work that will then be taken to a barrister and they'll present it in court. So it's kind of teaching you skills that you don't get to do um, day to day and uh, other things. So I actually had a PSC one this morning about building our profiles. So it's kind of skills about how to interact with others and be part of a team and social skills, things like that. Yeah. Um, you also get so uh, the SRA is uh, the regulator of all solicitors and they have a code of conduct which every solicitor has to abide by and you get taught a bit about this on the, the two courses which have been previously mentioned but um, not that much and not in terms of the actual application of it so once you do get to the firm you get PSC training on how to apply the code in daily life how to make sure that you're constantly abiding by it and um, and you don't breach it by by mistake or, or how, however else um, so yeah those are the kind of PSC things but there I wouldn't say they're they're maybe once every few months um and they make up a tiny part of your kind of learning and development and general training from the training contract which doesn't it's not specifically training it's just every single day you're learning how to do new things and just learning on the job is the main point of a training contract um and yeah every day is it brings new challenges things that you won't have seen before and it's all about knowing how to react to not panicking and then knowing who to go to for help and how you can figure out how to solve the problem and how to how to do the task yeah well it sounds like all of this is just designed to give you so much support um, you know that you're not left on your own you're getting that consistent training before you start whilst you're there and then you've got the support of your peers as well to be able to go through for all that help definitely um, and then David just coming to you because I know that you've had like um specific training so you've done things like training in energy and construction law can you tell us a bit about sort of how that works and how that's come come about during the the contract yeah so um so Charlie I think is currently in uh, the corporate seat that I was in uh, two seats previously which is um energy and infrastructure projects and um, so even though it's within the corporate kind of division, there's a lot more specialist knowledge that needs to come about. So obviously the structures of companies involved in kind of energy projects or infrastructure projects in general, um, there's certain standard types of agreement and the way that these kind of different entities interact. So one of the partners um, at HSF, who's one of the kind of leading people in kind of energy law, gave us a kind of nice, um, I don't know if this has happened now, due to lockdown, but we like got ordered pizza and we just sat in a room and basically chatted through a, a nice like slideshow of the different kind of key parts of energy law, mm -hmm. um, the different kind of agreements that are in place and then just key overall kind of principles. And it was quite good actually, again, from a STEM background because you could you could see phrases that you might've heard of, you know, um, beforehand, but actually kind of make that gap and jump, sorry, make the jump from um, kind of general, um, legal stuff to the technical knowledge and kind of like I say have a kind of overall appreciation of how it all interplays and uh, similarly so I'm in real estate at the moment but within that there's a specialist construction division um, and some of the projects involved there are things like uh, solar farms, renewable energy, um, energy interconnectors so there's again a lot of specialist knowledge in there and basically um each department has um, what's known as a professional support lawyer. And they're people who are, they don't necessarily do client work, but they do a lot of legal research and they're quite up to speed with kind of legal developments. And these courses um, in specialist departments are normally delivered by those professional support lawyers. So they're able to talk you through the kind of key areas. So it does depend on which seat you'll be in, but if you're in one of the more technical seats, then you generally get a nice uh, briefing at the start of your seat on the key kind of topics you need to know. Great. I think that's um, that's really interesting to hear. And everything you've kind of told told us so far so far is um, if I was a STEM student, you know, watching this and, and, and hearing about HSF, um, my mind would be completely put at rest now that you don't need to have that kind of law background to be able to go on to be really successful during this training contract because of the support and training that you get before you start and also kind of when you join and and how um, that's kind of all set up. Um, so I'm going to hand back to Carla now to kind of finish off the webinar with Rebecca um, and I can't believe how quickly the time has gone today but yeah it's been yeah. so fascinating hearing about all the training opportunities that you guys have gone through and your background so thank you so much for joining today. Yeah thanks very much guys and what I really want to do towards the end um, is a couple of ideas that have come out of this webinar from from my point of view you know working at Grad Cracker and the things that for to help you STEM students out there who's watching so I'd quite like to put um a jargon buster page on the on the Herbert Smith hub and um, you know David you've mentioned it about 
going to the assessment centre and law people knowing about all these acronyms and law words and everything else. So I definitely think that'd be a really good section and really help STEM students. So watch your space, everybody who's watching, myself and Rebecca will we'll knock heads together towards the end of this week. It's Friday tomorrow, this week, um, to, come with, to come up with some words and things like that that you guys might not know of um, out there in, in the STEM sector. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll definitely add those so you can really prepare for the, the application process um, when they open in September. So Rebecca, just a final um, word from you really. So we, we've listened to the application process so far, the, the different events that are held as part of the assessment centre and everything else because of the restrictions of COVID. So what, what's the um, assessment centre looking like this year? Is it quite similar, but just virtual? Have you got new plans? Yes, it is a little bit different um, and it will always be tweaked um, year on year purely because we need to make sure that we are recruiting the right people and the skill set within the firm. So we always kind of look at what good has looked like previously and we're trying to look at that potential within kind of students at the assessment centre stage. So you're right in the sense it has gone virtual and that is definitely the main difference. Yeah. Um, but because it's kind of gone virtual, we've had to, I guess, slim it down a little bit. Doesn't make it any easy, much, you know, any easier. <laughs> so don't be fooled by that. But it just means that it's a bit more, I guess, succinct in terms of what your experience is like as a candidate. Mm -hmm. um, so in terms of the assessment centre, um, there are three interviews. So there's a competency interview, which is a very kind of standard interview. You know, tell me about yourself. Tell me about your experiences. And we're looking for candidates to kind of demonstrate um, key competencies. Mm -hmm. um, so as with any job you're applying to, it'll be the usual suspects like leadership, teamwork, um, handling different priorities and those kind of usual competencies and my best advice here is just to have a couple of examples for each um, and using a variety of different examples to kind of show that you have that skill so it's almost like you can tick that box to say you know yes I've done that and, and yes I can demonstrate I'm a good team player so that's one of the interviews Sorry. No, it's fine. It's fine. I'm just want to chip in there. So as well, these experiences don't have to be on the job experiences, do they? So they could be part of a sports team at university. Part oh, of gosh, yeah. Yeah, yeah so the, the more variety you choose and the more experiences you have to pull from, um, the bigger, the better the picture we get to build of you yeah. as a candidate. So, you know, please don't think it has to be anything to do with, with work or professional. It could be that you were part of a netball team or... Mm. Um, you know what you did in the lab or whatever it might be absolutely yeah. brilliant thank you um, and then the next two um, uh, interviews um, are with different partners and they are what we call a scenario based interview which actually is probably similar-ish to what David was talking about in terms of like the, the role play element and we're ultimately we are testing and, and looking for the same skills but ultimately a partner will say to you this is a scenario that, that I have faced in my in my real life job what would you do? What would you suggest? Mm -hmm. And although that sounds completely kind of daunting, um, the, the worst thing that you can do is, is kind of say, I won't deal with that. I don't want to deal with that. Um, yeah. it's the, the, best, <laughs> the best candidates basically um, have a real good go, ask really uh, engage with the, the material that they've been given and really just kind of talk it through with a partner. Um, and no one's ever going to get, you know, 100% in that. But the best candidates stand out because they gave it a go and came through with kind of logical problem solving skills that I th personally think lend themselves very well to STEM students. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it is a two way process, as you've as you've kind of um, said a, a, on this call quite a bit today. So making sure at an assessment centre that you're also asking questions, that you're also thinking, you know, do I want to work here and how can I work that out? And what questions can I ask when I'm in front of those partners? Mm -hmm yeah um and you know it is rigorous um but hopefully you know it, it's worth it in the end and I think as Charlie said earlier by the time you get onto the vacation scheme ultimately the hard work is done now you just on the vacation scheme once you've done the assessment center the vacation scheme is just for you to get to know us do you like this work do you want to you know you know is it enjoyable for you can you see yourself working here all of those types of questions are, are really important for you to be thinking of when you're on a back scheme yeah, 
Thank you very much, Rebecca. And I think um, from, from our point of view as well, I really wanted to touch on the, the different and the favourite projects or seats that the, the trainees have been on. Um, so what we're going to do as well afterwards is, is get a bit of um, a profile on all the trainees here today. So feel free, um, guys who are watching this webinar, to go back, have a look on the Herbert Smith Hub and um, make sure you read about all their different journeys and exciting um, seats and projects that they've worked on. Definitely worth a read or a watch. It depends if it's in video or written format. So thanks very much, guys. It's been a really insightful, brilliant day today. Um, really enjoyed it. Don't forget, everybody, that the vacation schemes open in September. So follow Herbert Smith on Gradcracker today to be alerted in September when they open their opportunities. And just, just, just a quick note. So we've referred to Herbert Smith Freehills as Herbert Smith Freehills, Herbert Smith, HSF. So don't get confused. When you're trying to find them on Gradcracker, obviously go to the A to Z, the employer A to Z, and they're under H, Herbert Smith Freehills. So that's what you need to be looking for. Um, so thanks everybody for joining us today. Thank you again, Sophie. Um, I'm going to be joined by Jessica. Jessica is back next week and Babcock. So Babcock are a huge engineering services um, firm and their three key markets are defence, emergency services and the civil and nuclear sectors. They've got lots of opportunities open to STEM and STEM students and graduates. So join us next week, same time, same place at two o'clock. Thank you very much, Herbert Smith Freehills people and we'll see you next week. Bye everyone. Thank Bye. You.